0: Hey everybody, it's the Week in the Tackle podcast, the podcast where we look back at the previous week, and these days it's more than a week, uh, in football, and tackle the stories that we thought were interesting. Uh, I'm Tom Rennie, alongside before the program is MLS legend, top broadcaster, and sort of Olympian, Mr. Brian Dunseth. How are you, mate? You alright?
1: I'm great, Rennie. I was uh, i was on a cruise. I actually, yes. I, I went to New York City. I got to got to take the family to New York City, <clears throat> stay down the financial district, actually had dinner in a building that was the final conversation for George Washington with the leaders of his group um, yes. after, you know, we won. And, yes. uh, it, was, and it's it, was, all it was gone swimmingly well so far by the look of it. It's f- been phenomenal. Uh, so, yeah, we did that. We did the 9-11 memorial. Highly, highly, highly suggest uh, taking part of that. One of the most powerful moments um, that my family and I had seen up close and personal obviously because of kind of the personal connection of the day and what it meant and uh, going to the airport and being with with Ray Hudson and Miami Fusion um and, and then we we popped off on a on a cruise we went down to uh where we go we went to Bermuda amazing uh we went to Saint Martin or Saint Martin on the Dutch side watch the airplanes land and take off right on the beach yeah, was cool right on top of us. Where did we go after that? We went to St. Thomas. Beautiful. Did some snorkeling. It was amazing. Then we did San Juan, Puerto Rico. We walked kind of the old... Dude... In- just incredible. Just in- just an incredible area. Um, and then we ended up in the Dominican Republic. And what a fantastic experience that was. The boys got to do that. Have you ever seen the guy like they have that fake like wave machine and people like. Surf. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love so that. the boys got to do that. Yeah. So they did it. And it was amazing. We had a great time. Uh, a lot of alcoholic beverages were consumed. Spent a couple days back. Flew yesterday back from New York City. And here we are. And I still yes. got to watch some Premier League games because they have a show or a TV channel called Sport 24. That was on the norwegian cruise line getaway that we were on and yeah man, it was uh, fantastic ben Spectre, some would say
0: i did a similar thing to the uh fake wave thing with my brother-in-law on a cruise a few years ago uh my brother-in-law is a um how to put it friendly uh, stocky and <laughs> uh when he was trying to do the bit where you'd sort of wakeboard and lay down um mm-hmm. he sort of span over on it and his shorts came off and it, to this day is my favorite memory uh <laughs> of uh that entire holiday mm. um it was all buttocks and I oh. would suggest that some of those children uh, didn't sleep for the rest of that trip. By, um, by the
1: way, re- really quick, before we get yes. started, have you, do you? are you a pina colada guy? You, um, have you ever...
0: Yeah, I've had a pina colada. I wouldn't say okay. I was a pina colada guy.
1: So I was walking down the street in San Juan, Puerto Rico. My light's on. Show you for those that are watching on YouTube.
0: Uh, it's not going to work, is it? It's not going to work, is it? It's... Oh, there oh, okay, it is. Yeah, what is that? Pina, pina colada is. what? Center?
1: So... Uh, It's called La Casa Donde Nacio, La Pina Colada, in el año 1963, por Don Ramon Portas Mingo, which for English translations, the house in 1963 where the Pina Colada was created by Don Ramon Portas Mingo. Oh. Dude, Jay and I and the boys sat in the restaurant area where the first Pina Colada was created in 1963. We imbibed. They're incredible. We had a couple Pina Coladas. Oh, my gosh. If you're ever in San Juan, Puerto Rico, it's just on one of the main streets. There's a big sign out front. And 1963, Pina Coladas. I mean, talk about history.
0: Is that verified, though? Because, you know, there's like 15 pubs in England that claim to be the oldest pub in England. And there Hmm. is a cafe at the top of my road that claims to have invented the chip butty. So, you know. What's that? it's a sandwich with chips in it and butter and they have it a lot in like the middle of the country the greasy chip butty, which is the, the the song about guys you put f-ing syrup on bacon all right you can't speak to anyone that's, in the world that's about really cuisine, what you guys, you guys literally are literally ever oh, okay. corn dogs and syrup on bacon just sit down america when it comes to food <laughs> um plus have a portion for one person give that a whirl that might help um, mm. I didn't finish one meal in America. It's not possible. But yeah, they, so they, they claim to have invented it, but I don't think they did because they'd sing about it in Sheffield. Anyway, that's all by the by. While you were in um, sunnier crimes across the Caribbean, I went to uh, Luton uh, and to, uh, to East that? London. So yeah, it's a nice airport. It's a nice airport. Okay. It's a nice airport.
1: Um, I, saw, I saw you I saw you having a moan. I saw you having a moan about your, your West Ham against Crystal Palace. It doesn't seem like based on your socials that... Uh, um that you're a fan of David Moyes and his 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 attack-minded football up until the 89th minute where he throws everything on the field
0: it's it's just it's an intentional tactic it's an intentional tactic so <laughs> I was I sit there as you know in my media seat at West Ham and I sit behind the technical staff uh yeah. so I think it's like Mark Robbins and Stuart Robson now onto other guys and I don't like obviously it's a it's a work environment so mm. i don't speak too much but i do find myself sometimes saying because they're near me i find myself going put a winger on put, put a winger on <laughs> they're not putting a winger on sometimes i'll be like take a fake phone call john he's not putting a winger on yeah i can't believe it john he's not he's not put, he's not putting a wing he's not putting a winger on put, put a like there was a bit during the crystal palace <laughs> game this is not the big story of the day you know you understand uh. but James Royal Prowse got shunted out to left wing and we've got Brazil's number eight doing nothing. And you're a bit like, we've got, whether you like the wingers or not, we have wingers and Crystal Palace right now, poor Roy Hodgson, Crystal Palace are going down the tubes faster than you could possibly imagine. Hodgson should not have taken the job on. Their two best players are injured, one of them for the majority of the season. In their next set of games, they've got to play like City and Liverpool and Brighton. They're in massive trouble Mm. and they were desperate to get a draw. We're 20 minutes away from the full-time whistle. half 62,500 in. All paid £50 or more a ticket. Apart from me, of course. And <laughs> they didn't try and attack. Try and attack them. Try, mm. just, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. It's intentional, but, um, you know, it's similar to Eric Ten Hag. Like, that's how they play. And it's got a lot of results. And I'm all for it if you win. If you don't win, it does look pretty rubbish. Um, away from all that, I want to get to the midweek Premier League stuff because it was... Uh, pretty good but of course you weren't here last week
1: yeah
0: um and tim and i i think valiantly in between getting mm. sworn out by man united fans for a very funny bit crush, where i said about thank you the Glazers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um a very very funny bit but it turns out people who are hypocrites don't have senses of humor there was no way of knowing oh. um but we got mls cup final coming up saturday you're about to head to the airport. Uh, to watch Columbus Crew, who you'd tipped all season to have a good season, not to win the game against Cincinnati, it must be said, but you had tipped them at the start of the season to have an excellent campaign. uh, And Mm. you've been full of praise for Wilfred Nostey and and the way they played all season. So uh, excellent pick out earlier on in the campaign. And of course, LAFC are a kind of obvious pick. Uh, So it's Crew, LAFC on Saturday. Before we look ahead, though, the LAFC game was formulaic. Talk to us a little bit, and there'll be listeners to this who didn't watch it and didn't get convinced to watch it by my my talking about it last week. Talk to us about Cincinnati 2, Columbus Crew 3. I mean, that is some game of football, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And and to see, <clears throat> I, thought, I thought there were self-inflicted moments where the Columbus Crew were punished, and rightly so. And I thought that we saw an FC Cincinnati team that offensively, the offensive phase of play, showed all the elements of the team that we have have seen and been expecting from, especially during the playoff run. And I think a team that was, that was, was, was very confident. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say arrogant or cocky, but very confident in the way that they played, the way they approached in their home field advantage. But it has to be said without Nick Hagelin and in particular, Matt Miazga, and you can throw in mm-hmm. Mosquera. You can, you can, you can, we can talk. I mean, the reality is it, it, the, the center back conversation is, is a realistic one that was missing, for FC Cincinnati and teams have injuries and injuries are part of it and then self inflicted moments where you find yourself uh, as a MLS defender of the year suspended for such a tumultuous game in a, in a final in the Eastern Conference. Um, listen, I, I think with all due respect to Columbus, had the preferred center back pairing, or at least two of the three center backs, because they can play three in the back, they can play four in the back. There's a bunch of of hybrid moments for Pat Noonan and his group. Had they had two out of the three, I think they go through. I don't think there's moments in which Wilfred Nancy chasing the game can make the adjustments that he makes. Christian Ramirez has been in fantastic form, and I, I don't know if that's Due to the birth of his child, or not, you know the momentum and behind that, and what's happening off the field, and we all, I, I'm, I've, I've said this time and time again, you know, you have to take an account while we judge performances between the white lines for ninety minutes. There's other things that happen off the field that can influence a player's uh, performance on the field. So credit where credits due. Superman, Christian Ramirez. I mean, it was, I think, a really smart pickup by Tim Bezbachenko. And by the way, we should probably at some point tie in. The drop off from Toronto FC since Bezbachenko left, and then see the immediacy of the ascendancy of Columbus in the Eastern Conference and how a couple MLS finals, uh, Campiones Cup, um, going through managerial change and then seeing a revamp of this roster, especially in the midseason. He's he's pressed all the buttons, pressed all the buttons to lose Zelarreon and bring in Rossi and still add to that equation. I mean, it, it's been incredible. But this should have been a cincinnati mls cup final hosted in front of the bailey uh, against lafc but because of a couple of different circumstances and again credit where credit's due columbus is hosting i am super excited as a former columbus crew player to go back to lower.com field i think it's one of the premier stadiums in Major League Soccer, all due respect to the other stadiums, and I could go on and on about the ones that I like versus the ones that I think are a little bit behind the times, but it's inevitable because we're seeing immediacy and growth in a nuclear arms race of spending both on the field and off the field, including the amount of new ownership that is coming in, which has backing from NBA, which has backing from NHL, or excuse me, NFL, on and on and on. But yeah, to see this game against LAFC... You know, Max Brados and I covered a ton of LAFC games this year, and everyone kept saying, "Well, yeah, but look, they lost in the final to León. They lost in the final to Tigres. They're not something's wrong. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that." I think they've played like 52 games. Yeah, and for an MLS team, that's a lot of games. And I know we just heard Jim Curtin and and um, Ernst Tanner and the Philadelphia Union talk about the amount of games, talk about the amount of travel. I just think this is going to be one explosive MLS Cup final. You could hear it on SiriusXMFC channel 157. We'll have all the coverage uh, surrounding the buildup, uh, the game itself, post-game coverage. It's going to be a phenomenal experience. Um, and I, I just... I I don't... I Take away loyalty from the conversation. I don't think... And the fan loyalty. Um, I don't think MLS could have picked a more... I would say eyeball-pleasing final with two of what I think in terms of interpretations of how coaches want to play with the ball. um, I don't think you could have asked for a better matchup in this MLS Cup final.
0: Terrific final on Saturday, live on Sirius XMFC, of course, live on Apple as well. And is this still free? I mean, what, I watched the set. I didn't tell you this because you weren't here. So I was working late on Saturday night and I was doing uh, the late game. And so I didn't get home to, I don't know, midnight or 1am or something. Got the train back to my house and I had it on my phone because you told me you can get it free on Apple. So I'm watching it. When I got off the train, so about a 10 minute walk to my house, uh, it's 2-0 Cincinnati, 70th minute. It's about half past 12, one of the last trains out of London. And i was like oh when i get back home i gotta eat i gotta get ready for bed i'm up in the morning to go back to work so do you know what i'm giving up i gave up at two nil in the 70th minute watching it live and then i woke up um next morning about up past six to a message from our our friend Pete Corey, and he'd been like congratulations to like your columbus crew or whatever like i can't wait to get out there let us know if you want a shirt or something like that you know joking about it and like how amazing they were what a comeback it was and you know when you wake up in the morning and you're like is this am i still is he taking the piss is this is it what happened yeah they lost didn't they didn't they lose and then i'm scrolling from your phone and obviously all the columbus crew uh twitter is like vamos and success and all this i'm like what what happened here it's like you watch the movie and you left just before the main character got killed. It's like yeah. you went to see the film Psycho and left when she arrives at the hotel. And you're like, what's, why is everyone, why is everyone thinking this is a horror film? It was a nice movie about a woman sending <laughs> some money. What's, Hitchcock's lost it. Hitchcock's mm. not making the movies he used to. So, you know, it was one of those uh, time zones. I just couldn't, I couldn't stay up anymore. I couldn't do it. Um, so, but it was, it was great, great fun. And I'm going to watch the game uh, this Saturday. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, that was quite funny that I missed it. Come on, Columbus. Right. Um, Let's talk about Premier League because there's been loads of stories since we were last together. And I want to start with Aston Villa because this is a really interesting story. A really, really interesting story. This time last year, just before this time, when was it? Like October time, I think. Stephen Gerrard got the sack. Stephen Gerrard got the sack because the hierarchy at Aston Villa discovered that Unai Emery would be available. And they did that thing, Danny, you and I are always talking about. If you're going to sack your manager do it because you've got someone better lined up or don't do anything because Mm. only chaos ensues if you do it for the sake of it they brought in Unai Emery who had a bad time last time he was in the Premier League but has proven so many times what a good manager he is and he went into the game against Man City which they won which I tipped by the way um them to win 14th home win in a row and beating Man City without Rodri sure um but they win that game with seven players starting who were Steven Gerrard players. He has not come in and, you know, let's say, broken 115 financial doping rules in order to get the best squad in the country. He's come in and taken the majority of Steven Gerrard's players and gone, yeah, I could make something work with this. And they're not playing the kind of football you'd be like, um, I don't know, you're not going to write about it in textbooks like you might do with Jurgen Klopp's team mm. or Guardiola's team or whatever. But they do everything right. They are so incredibly professional. And Danny, I'd love your view on... You've told us previously on the show about times you've played for managers who you had no time for and you knew he was out the door, that sort of thing. But I get the sense watching people like Douglas Luiz, who I've been a fan of for a long time, to Mm -hmm. be fair, but Leon Bailey, who I've not been a fan of uh, a lot until the last five, six weeks. People like Ollie Watkins, the step up he's made. Remember the conversation about Danny Ings or Ollie Watkins to be Villa's central striker only a year ago? Um, what he's done to um, Carlos Sitera, who looked totally finished when he came back from his injury. The improvement in Pau Torres this season. Luka Dina, who they wanted out the door because he wasn't good enough. You know, we could go on about some of these guys. Everyone's made improvement. John McGinn looks phenomenal. I Nearly forgot John McGinn. He looks amazing mm-hmm. right now in central midfield. You get the feeling, Danny, that they are so bought in, and the fans are so bought in, and the ownership group is so bought in. Yeah. It just I suppose my question is: Tell me how you think this has happened in twelve months, and what you think Aston Villa can achieve. It's worth noting now they're <laughs> above City in the table.
1: Yeah. Um, well, first off, I, I think you got to go back, and <clears throat> whatever the Randy Lerner situation felt like at the time, or whatever it was in reality, you know, with going down and what it was going to look like, and you know, what 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 in the world were they going to do with Jack Grealish and cashing in, and what what this all this 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 thing that was just surrounding them at the time um Steven Gerrard was supposed to be the guy that was going to replace Jurgen Klopp you know that that was this was the next step right what he did at rangers this was going to be the step into the premier league i'm focused i want to you know i'm not a liverpool man i'm an aston villa man blah 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 even though you're playing in charity games um and and then ultimately i think what we're learning is is a couple different things ownership is important obviously the people behind the scenes who for the most part i feel like remain pretty nameless at aston villa and i mean that in a good way that not needing to be front facing not needing to be in front of the camera all the time not needing to have a quote all the time in public i always feel like when i when i when i am absorbing anything with aston villa i just feel like they knuckle down do their business and are super efficient and very... I mean, outside really Tyrell Ming's ACL situation injury and the Yuri telemans is he happy? Is he not happy? Is he a part of it? Is he not part of it? Like You really don't have a lot of headline-grabbing moments for Aston Villa. And it, it just hasn't felt like that. So if it, behind the scenes, you bring in Unai Emery, his staff, and it feels like this is almost the perfect club for him. It's almost the Sevilla type club. It's not the PSG club. It's not the Arsenal club. It's not the bright spotlight. It's not the insane pressure that's from the outside where it's it's manipulating every single moment of every single decision of every single play that is either uh you know far outweighing the manager or you know, just wrapping up the manager and being a dead weight around him. And I also think. That the personalities and the and the culture within the club, you're not dealing with superstars, if that makes sense. So you're not having to you 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 have more buy in moments. You don't have players that are bigger than the manager, where I don't think that was the case at PSG, and I certainly know that wasn't the case at Arsenal. Mm. Um, and it it just feels like the pieces of the puzzle align perfectly. Whereas when we were at Arsenal in this conversation, when we were at PSG. Listen, we knew PSG was going to be a two-year cycle. It's a two-year cycle for any manager. When when we're talking about what it was at Arsenal, that was probably the worst period for him to take over or Unai Emery, yeah. because of not just the squad, not just following Arsene Wenger, but just behind the scenes. Remember Sven Mislintant? Oh, Golden Eye. I mean, like everything was supposed to. You know, everything was supposed to be oh, we got this guy, we got that guy we got, guy, we got this guy, we got this guy, and we got the manager, and we'll put it all together. And obviously that was, you know, uh, the Rafael Veron sore back issue, I was joking with you before, reminded me of Mesut Ozil mm-hmm. and what Unai Emery was having to deal with. So I just, I just feel like everything is aligned in an ideal situation where these players aren't. Top tier world class players, but they're certainly capable of beating, as we mm-hmm. saw against Man City, top class, you know, just world class top tier players. Yeah. So, credit where credit's due. I'm glad we're not making fun of like the good evening. I know it became like a little bit of a shtick and it became fun, but then it became malicious and it kind of came over the top. But now we're kind of back to this is the man. And again, going after a manager, paying the buyout clause and saying like, it. Sorry, Tim, I hadn't cursed at all. Like, this is our guy. That's where you got to give respect, because that moment, I think, has, has instigated what this success has kind of turned into right now. And now we're singing the praises of Aston Villa again, saying, have they made that jump now from qualifying for Europe to maybe qualifying for Europe, but in a Champions League place when it's all said and done?
0: I mean, they're above Man City after a third of the season. And if that's not an achievement by a team, not backed by, by a country, I I don't know what is. And a couple of stats on this game. You know, we always watch the game as opposed to take our narrative from the game from the stats. Mm. But I'll just read you a couple, Danny, because they are actually quite interesting. Uh, Villa have won 14 home league games in a row. It equals a club record set in 1931, um, equaling a record set in 1903. So their best record at home in terms of winning... Um, in nearly a century, and that includes times to be in the second tier of English football as well. And this is all top tier, of course. Um, so it's an incredible run. Um, and in fact, before I reach the other stat, I'll just ask you this question because it's a, it's a strange way of putting it. Because we've been speaking a lot on today's um, football show about can they win the league, right? And obviously mm. the answer is, of course, they can. They probably won't, but they can. Um, it's very, very unlikely and all of that. But I wanted to ask you how they win the league. Because... Mm. This time, a little bit later last year, Man United were still in the conversation, right? It fell away. No one thought they were going to win it. But when you're within the point's grasp, it is worth some of our time on a show like this. Um, A few weeks ago, we spoke about Tottenham. Look, it was way too early, but we did mention that at the time. This is still too early. Fine. But I wondered if they came to you for advice now. If Unai Emery Mm. came to you for advice and said, Brian, good evening. I (laughs) think we could... uh, He's learned the V... I think we could win the league here, but I'm not sure the path. I'm not sure how to carry the Fabergé egg across the ice rink. What would mm. your advice be?
1: <clears throat> I, to be honest with you, I know this This sounds very familiar, but you got to take it one game at a time. I mean, I, I don't think there's a magic solution in something like this. The pathway is how can you find the rhythm of consistency? How can you turn losses into draws and draws into wins? How can you continue to to create I, w- I would say momentum with confidence, if that makes sense? Because I I think when when you have a when you have a confidence that's kind of backed in a little bit of a swagger and it's backed in a belief and kind of this never say die mentality, I think we saw a lot of that from Arsenal last year with Mikel Arteta up until the end. And I think that's that's where this is... The, the test of time is going to be getting through the Christmas period, right? Getting through the New Year's. We're, we're right around the corner. The test is that we've already seen them do a really good job of navigating Thursday nights and coming back and playing on Sundays. And now, Thursday night, Sunday, midweek, back at the weekend, and then get into this Christmas period. Um, and once you get out of the Christmas period and you get into the knockout rounds, how do you find that... Me- but this is... I mean, this is... This is what big clubs want this is what i think we need to also understand is that he's been there he's done this and he's done it with quote unquote i don't mean to sound disrespectful but with sevilla what they've done the challenge is i would say greater in the premier league with the amount of clubs that can compete for european football whereas when he's at sevilla he knows he's battling real madrid he's bat- barcelona he's battling atletico madrid not necessarily in that order, but that's the trifecta with one or two other teams that might pop up, a Real Sociedad type. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're looking at 7 eight teams. I mean, you're, you're talking, okay, your you're celebratory point for Aston Villa, right? And rightly so, is that they're above Man City. Well, they're also above Spurs. They're also above Man United. They're also above Newcastle. They're also above Brighton. They're also above Chelsea. I mean, that's 15 games in and managing Europe, and qualifying for the knockout round. I mean, it, again, it's one game at a time. But you know, how, how do you health of players, man? You and I were talking about this and, and before the start of the show. What is it? Maybe an average of seven to eight to nine players per club mm. because of injuries have been missing for these first fifteen games. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to be a more delicate, brittle situation. So, I, I I'm intrigued to see how they navigate this because there's no reason why they can't at a bare minimum mimic what they did last year a la Brighton but now can they maybe do what Newcastle did but having to do that qualifying for Champions League while still managing Europe and that that's that's the question we've had for years is who's that next group we know City we know Arsenal we know Liverpool we know Man United we know Chelsea we know Tottenham to a certain extent But who's that sixth, seventh, eighth club that Mm. then become the contenders for the top four every single season? And I still think we're on that bubble of who we like and who we don't necessarily respect.
0: And as proven last year uh, by West Ham, they won the Conference League, but the league season massively suffered because of it. And I think Villa are very likely to win the Conference League this year if they can do both. Uh, Great achievement. Uh, Briefly on City, because I want to move off this game, but um, this run they're currently on, winless in four Premier League matches, right, big whoop, but it's their worst run in six and a half years. And notably here, the fifth game in a row when Rodri has not been available, they have not been able to win. And it's worth noting too still no Kevin De Bruyne. I heard something um on the radio earlier today and it was like maybe not match of the day Martin Keown saying like they've lost a sparkle. Well if you don't have for hmm. my money the best player in the last 5 years in the Premier League Kevin De Bruyne for months on end you can have people like Phil Foden and Núñez and Kovačič and Álvarez yeah. you know all great players I'm not trying to be critical here but they ain't the guy your team was built around. I mean, can 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 you cope without those two players in in games like this? Can you win two, three, five trophies without both? Well,
1: l- l- listen. The the Kevin De Bruyne thing is, is 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 and always will be a massive talking point because he's a player that can do things that ninety five percent of players can't do. I think the loss of Ilkay Gundogan to Barcelona is a talking point that isn't often referred to because of the size of the club and the depth of the club and the amount of money that they've spent. I think in this particular game, not having Doku because of injury and not having Grealish because of suspension are two big ones. Um, but I think we should also... I mean, the fact that Calvin Phillips can't get a game right now is is wild. should tell him everything about what he needs to do in January. Uh, because when you get stones to stones, but by the way, he's turned a Kanji into a pretty f-ing good defensive midfielder. Sorry, Tim, like a Kanji playing in that role. Like when they signed, I'll go back a couple of years ago. When they signed a Kanji, I was like, out of all the center backs that you're bringing over from the Bundesliga, like a Kanji, no disrespect to a Kanji, mm. but like Dortmund a Kanji versus like what else was available?
0: They could have had Mavropanos. <clears throat> he was available. Why didn't oh, they go for Mavropanos?
1: Tilo <laughs> Carrer probably would have been a, a cheaper... Oh, sorry. sorry. Um, but his evolution of player is extraordinary. Now, this run of form... You you and I were talking about... Well, I, I remember, I th- I think it was your quote where you said the best thing that could happen to the Premier League is that Pep Guardiola and Man City win everything and that he walks away and then the doors are wide open. I think now what we're seeing is a team that is dealing with some injuries, dealing with the suspensions, dealing with some fatigue. And I don't know if the fatigue is just physical fatigue or if it's mental fatigue. But this idea of like um I don't know if they're up for it. No, they're up for it. They are going to kick on. They're going to fucking destroy some team. Now they got me on a roll. Sorry Tim. They're going to destroy some teams and they'll they'll find their rhythm. They'll get back to it because we we we've done this. It's a little it's it's not the same as it was when Liverpool was mm-hmm. Liverpool what was it 2020 covid and and was just flying high and and there there's no there's no team that's doing that right now every mm. team has hiccups so far so I I'm not concerned about that I'm I I think that they're just too good and too deep of a team yeah to have the hiccups that they're having currently but listen it, it's 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 low-hanging fruit now you can take some shots of pep and people are certainly taking their shots. And I, Pep's being super insecure and Pep's having some pops back, which is fine. Um, you know, I think all parties involved with kind of these justifiable shots back and forth are are making valid and interesting points. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's more, there are more questions about individual players at Man City who maybe aren't up to speed with what they need versus, maybe what the team's going through because I, I do think to Pep's point you can make some justifiable um descriptions uh critical conversations about players uh but we're just not used to seeing them yeah. concede as, as often as they've been conceding in what these last four matches, it, it just seems unfathomable that they give these, what is it? Like 12, 13, 14 goals Crazy. in four or five matches. We're just not used to seeing them do that.
0: I want to go through some quick fire topics with you because there's loads from midweek and we've got about 10, 15 minutes before we are, we out of time on today's program. The commute only takes 45 minutes. The stats tell us so? So what we do 15 to 60, you'll never hear it. So here's the gold guys. <laughs> um, amazon are the broadcaster of the midweek games in england and so it's a familiar but unfamiliar lineup of presenters the reason i raised that is because a really top professional called marcus buckland was interviewing jürgen klopp pitch side, post their victory over sheffield united now buckland does a pretty generic joke about the 12:30 kickoff coming up on saturday against crystal palace for liverpool he says in a kind of full prey sandwich what a terrific win wasn't that amazing? It's really hard, though, for Liverpool right now. I'm sure it's going to be tough for you. Of course, your favorite kickoff kick-off time, 12.30 Saturday coming up, so that'll be tough for you, right? Um, totally generic, totally bland, gentlest of gentle ribbing. Jurgen Klopp went on what I thought was a, a quite disrespectful and despicable response to Marcus Buckland, who, by the way, I've done this job. I know you've done this job a lot. Mm. You can't, if someone disrespects you, tell them to f*** off. Sorry, Tim. You, you, you'd Never, ever, ever, you could not do that. Uh, and I bet you, I guarantee you, that was going through Marcus Buckland's mind. Uh, maybe not personally. You know, I don't know him personally, I, That that's too far. But I guarantee if it was me, um, that would have been going through my mind, right? Yeah. Um, and he doesn't do that. And he then starts saying, oh, I'm sorry. And, and, and essentially Klopp was like, no, it's good entertainment, but you know, you're ignorant to to say a question like that. It's disgraceful you would ask a question like that. And I just thought it was a gentle ribbing. You have made the big deal about the 12.30. And also, I'm working for Amazon this evening. I don't work for TNT. TNT are the broadcaster that keep choosing you at 12.30. So in many ways, we're the outsiders. They're the other, and I'm on your side criticising them for putting you in the 12.30, which super is probably obvious. why you felt safe to do it. Yeah, so, super obvious, yeah. So utterly unacceptable response from Jurgen Klopp, I thought. And it's like, you know... It it was like starting a fight with someone who you know can't fight back. It's like when, you know, if you tried to have a argument with someone who was in the army, but they can't fight back because they could kill you. Mm-hmm. And so you can like you can be a bit more like daring because you know they're not gonna do it. I thought it was just frankly, it was weak from Jürgen Klopp mm-hmm. here.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it either. I, I it was very obvious the setup. I don't think and what's interesting is it could easily be blamed on on maybe the lack of translation. Um, Obviously, Jurgen Klopp, German, German speaking, English is going to be one of many languages that he can also speak. But it wasn't a moment that was lost in translation for me, it was very obvious. And it was actually, for me, the way that it was presented was that they were all in on the joke, Yeah. as opposed to, hey, I'm making fun of you because you make fun of, or you just are so sensitive and, oh my God, all you ever do is complain and have a moan about early kickoff times. It was like, no, they're actually on your side. And the stupidity of not realizing in that moment that like, and, and it made it personal. That That's what I didn't like. It yeah. it made it so personal. And I we want this transparency with managers. We want this open and honesty. We don't want it to be so bland. We don't want it to be like Mikel Arteta does at times where he was even asked about Ramsdale afterwards because of David Rea and having a shocker with those two goals. You, you want him to at least answer the question. This wasn't even a real question. It was a setup for him to go in whatever direction he wanted to go. It wasn't a pointed question. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's not the first time. It won't be the last time. We know that there's moments where Jurgen Klopp historically has gone out of his way to kind of take these questions and kind of turn them around and make it somewhat personal for no reason whatsoever. I, I just... I don't know. It, it just yeah. seemed, Ugh.
0: It was unnecessarily obnoxious, and it's also worth noting, too, and I always think this in these conversations because this was not disrespectful in any way, and you should always be respectful in these conversations, but the players and the managers and the people that play the game, they are multi-multi-millionaires mm. with financial security. And on top of that, the reason they are multi-millionaires is because... TNT, Sky Sports, the BBC, uh, Talk Sport, NBC, you name it, via play, whatever, they pay billions of pounds to the clubs via the league to finance the league. Now, I'm not saying that that means they do whatever you want, but it does mean they're obliged to talk to you. They're contractually Mm -hmm. obliged and you can straight bat it if you want to. But you do have to turn up to it. And so when you're in that conversation, as much as they should show respect to you, you need to show respect to them. I I found it awful. And if Marcus Buckland, I don't think this will happen, by the way, but I'm just speculating here. If Marcus Buckland then doesn't get picked for a job down the line because Jürgen Klopp don't like him, he's got a mortgage to pay. It's not Mm. like Jürgen Klopp getting fired from Liverpool and he can go go live in the Seychelles if he wants to. Um, For the rest of us in sports media... It's our job, and I think he was perfectly entitled to to be entertaining there, uh, Marcus and who's a good pro. So I, did, I didn't like that. Um, Man United this week, a 2-1 victory over Chelsea. Terrific game of football, I thought. Very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, loads of mistakes and some good skill in there, too. I do want to ask you a serious question, but firstly, how hard did you punch the wall when Bruno Fernandes did the hop-skip-jump penalty?
1: Ugh. Ugh. I, I was actually... Couldn't punch a wall. I was sitting in 24E on Delta flight from JFK back to Salt Lake City, and I had my computer in front of me and my wife to my left on the aisle, my little guy, Luca, at the window. And I. as soon as I saw the goalkeeper not move, as soon as I saw Sanchez like hesitate and not move, then I knew that Bruno was in big trouble. Because usually the goalkeeper has to take a... He He's the one that creates the then secondary decision from Bruno to go which side. And listen, when it works, it works, and nobody's complaining. But I prefer someone to pick his side and just have a pop. Just go. Pick your side. So, yeah, ugh, not happy. there was no, I bet you was. Plenty of text messages going around uh, from friends and good nature ribbing and uh, all over the place. But, yeah, that, it was definitely... One of the matches where I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. None of us do. I don't know how galvanized they become when quote unquote leaks are happening. I don't know what the trickle down effect of banning journalists who are using secondary sources to then tell stories about, has he lost the locker room? Has he not lost the locker room? This is something that's been going on for years and years and years and been complained upon by multiple managers, professionalism, even Nemanja Matic coming out, talking about professionalism players or lack thereof showing up late. Um, creating find all there's there's insight in all of these moments what I did see on the field was the importance of Luke Shaw back Scott McTominay is whatever you fall in line he has the spirit and whatever that spirit is however you decide to verbalize that spirit there's something where he puts on that jersey and he fights tooth and nail for what that crest on his chest means whether you know he's the best player on the field, the worst player on the field. At least he leaves it on the field. Mm. Um, and the, and and I'll tell you what, the game could have ended eight six. I mean, there there's still that there was probably some of the best tacking phase of play moments that I've seen from Manchester United with possession, possession with purpose, creativity in the final third. But they're still wide open when they turn the ball over defensively. Uh, Lindelof and Harry Maguire were were on their heels, recovering and and good recovering moments. But still, um, yeah, it you see some good, you see some bad, and you see some ugh, but at the end of the day, it's still a, a big three points against Chelsea, however you cut it.
0: The other question about Man United, which I wanted to ask you, was about this whole press conference story from the Tuesday before the Wednesday. Mm. Mm. Uh, the Manchester Evening News, Sky Sports, and a couple of others uh, ESPN, were banned I from, I think ESPN, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just now the note in front of me but there there's four um publications who were banned from going to the pre-chelsea press conference the reason being the story that came out about half the squad want him to go etc cetera, etc a cetera, bunch of negatives the usual complaints about this training is boring i want to be more entertained by my yeah. training you know we've done this like yeah. five times now in man united how real is it? who knows um but the response was really interesting because we were coming on air for the show on tuesday and i'd read this story and I'd watched the Carve Solikor piece on Sky, but I was a bit like, "Well, this is nothing, right? We've done mm. this; it's nothing." And you know, one person complains to one person, it becomes a story, but you move on. But when they got banned from the press conference, we made it story number one, and we spoke about it for for twenty minutes. And I just wonder your thoughts on the Man United response to what felt like an inevitable story, and one we've seen before, mm. and whether that exacerbated the story. And what you think they're playing at here?
1: Well, the only thing that I don't, I don't. First and foremost, being on this side, right? I don't, I don't know. And maybe you can shed light on this. Is there? I'm trying to figure out how to verbalize this. It is there? Are there rules when it comes to press conferences, or are the end of like from the FA or from whoever's in charge, or do the teams get to make the decisions of who they allow in? because you, we kind of have here in the states yeah it's like a, it's an open policy that you can attend every press conference even if you're the most malicious like rumor mill type of of twitterer that you are allowed still to show up because it is a team press conference
0: It's going a bit that way over here in that there are people who are famous for doing their own podcast about an individual club, you know, fan independent media. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that now. But to get in the press conference, you would usually need to be accredited in some way. So a journalist from um, any publication, be it written, be it audio, be it visual, and the ones that pay rights are always in and they then get to distribute the content. So number one is rights payers. Uh, number two is accredited journalist, and number three is now another group that go through the club to get in. But usually they're friendly media. It's people mm-hmm. who do, yeah. you know, positive shows. I don't really think Arsenal fan TV would get in, for example, because it's quite negative. But a friend of mine has a quite positive Arsenal show, and he does get in. So it, it, the, the, it's it's not open sit open to the kind of okay. to anyone like it is is for you. So there is still some power in that.
1: So I think that's the one thing that caught me off guard. He says, I believe isn't Sky Sports. What the rights holders? That's, that's why
0: ma- it's very controversial. That's why it was yeah. a really interesting story because they are well, they're the biggest rights holders and rights payers in the country by a huge distance. Mm. And I would, I would just you know, they all need each other here.
1: Yeah.
0: But the element of doing that to Sky Sports, I thought, was a bit strong. That's why well, it was so, interesting. So maybe think I, it was a real story. That's the that's yeah. the, the the gist here.
1: So the 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 idea of maybe the team complaining to sky sports and then sky sports, either backing the journalist that they are sending or the one that has the ability to go because of being a rights holder, having a conversation with them or straight up saying, you write whatever you want. We got your back. Um, That's where it becomes like a little bit interesting for me as, as, and take, take Manchester United, my, my fandom out of the conversation. This is where i kind of, I find it super interesting um, because the way it was verbalized to me was that or excuse the what sorry, the way I consumed the way they verbalized it, both from the press officer and the statement for Manchester United and then for Ericton Hogg. since when do any of these writers have to go to the club and go to Ericton Hogg to have their quote? because it seemed like this is what I didn't like about it. It seemed like Manchester United and Ericton Hogg were saying, anything that you write about us as a club or me as a club, I have to have the right to respond. Mm. And that's not the case. That's just not how it works. And then we're, you know, when he, when he said like, you come to me and we'll have a disagreement about it, but you know, like what, that just seems like you're massaging the tone or massaging the narrative. And and by the way, you've been pretty bang average all season long. And there's significant conversation and storylines surrounding your club whether it's been Cristiano Ronaldo, whether it's been Jadon Sancho, whether it's been Harry Maguire, whether it's been the body language of Rafael Veron, whether it's been the decision making of the roster of the players that you're either choosing or the players that you're putting on the field and or the players that you're choosing not to use that are on the bench in moments where we're screaming at the television saying why wouldn't you bring in this player in a moment like this. So I just I didn't I didn't I didn't like it. I mean listen, I I know that the the individuals involved there's significant pushback from Manchester United faithful online that consume their work and think they're completely full of it, that they think that they're rumor mongers, that they think that they're getting, but I'll tell you what, if we were having a drink at a pub and there were no phones and there was nothing around, no microphones, and we had the Manchester United core group of reporters around us, they would tell you everything about who, what, when, where, how, and why all these stories are being written because they're the ones that would have the best insight to whoever individual one, individual two, individual three, or individual four is either getting their information, sourcing their information, or deciding to write or create the narrative. Because we all know there's always going to be one that's going to be super positive. There's always going to be one that's super negative. There's going to be one that's super, super, super professional. There's going to be one that really teeters into the gray area of how they get there. So I would be more interested in that, but I do think it is fascinating because if it's like if it's Sir Alex, Sir Alex, right? Ericton Hogg, it's a little bit different. Yeah. It's significantly different. So I, I thought it was a ballsy move by Manchester United to make this decision. I'm intrigued to see where it goes, but I certainly think it creates Manchester United and Ericton Hogg um you're you're more of a target it's going to be a lot easier to write these stories from a negative side as opposed to a positive side and i and i do wonder if there was a preemptive strike to try to get quote unquote these guys back on side before they elected just to to shut them out
0: interesting we'll see how the manchester evening news develops on this story. I thought it was quite interesting in their piece. They basically called out who the the kind of press officer was that banned them and talked about them personally when they got the job and and whatnot. So there's obviously something else going on there, which we don't know. We'll keep across it. Um, Kind of other quick things, Danny, I wanted to get your view on. Uh, Nottingham Forest, your Mm. old favourite team, took another Mm. spanking against Fulham by five goals to nil, losing five nil against a team who don't score many. Um, Not great. Um, But I wanted to get your view on the owner because there's a great tweet (laughs) from a guy called Dom Manning. I don't know if you saw saw the story, but this is absolutely fantastic. Um, Brilliant to go to Craven Cottage. If you can, I highly recommend it, especially on a sunny day, because you can get a boat up the Thames. You can dock near the ground and walk to this beautiful park next to the Thames before getting to Craven Cottage, which is on the river. It's it's, it's brilliant. It's a great tourist day. Um, There's normally loads of seats because they ain't got no fans. Um, A fan of Fulham, apparently, uh, Dom Manning, is walking back through the park post-game midweek. And he sees something pink in the bushes. Now, usually, I would suggest if you're walking through a park in London at night and you see something pink in the bushes, you should run away, unless that's, you know, your sort of thing. Uh, He puts his hand in and grabs out for something pink, and it's a press pass. In fact, not it's a press pass. It's it's an all-access areas pass to Craven Cottage. Oh, what's this? And it's Evangelos Marinakis, the owner of Nottingham Forest, who it would seem, I don't know how this has happened, so we can make an assumption, has left early with his team 5-0 down, stormed off through the park and thrown his pass into a bush in a huff. And it got found by this fan Amazing. who has found Marinakis' pass. Um, It's not a great sign for Steve Cooper, is it? Though popular with the Forest supporters still, mm. that the owner has stormed off early, so angry, and thrown his press pass into a bush.
1: Mm. Well, we know it's not Matt Turner's fault. Right? We know we know it's not Matt Turner's fault. The uh, other guy
0: they brought in is worse.
1: Dude. We 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 have talked about the amount of players that they brought in a season and a half ago. We've talked about the potential for, well, we've talked about the throne. <laughs> we've talked about the throne um for a certain gentleman to sit in. We've talked about uh how much influence the owner and or his son has not only on the squad, but for the potential picking of players in the squad. Mm. Um, and now we are going to circle back and was it his fault? He's out. Is it his fault? He's out. Is it his fault? He's out. Is it his fault? Uh, well, let's give him a contract for an extra two years and let's say it's not his fault, but let's make sure he knows he's, he's going to get a payout, but his ass is still on the line. Um, I think Steve Cooper's a good manager. I think what he did to keep them up last year, credit where credit's due, because he had essentially a brand-new squad, nowhere near the squad that brought him up from the championship and got him promoted. I think if you sack Steve Cooper, he will be in a job within two to three months in the Premier League, because I think even for a club like Crystal Palace, I think the immediacy of them going after him um, and, 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 you know, Whatever you're going to do with Roy Hodgson, lifelong obviously uh, respect for the club, but perfect type of person to step in. But when you get hammered the way you got hammered, mm. um, you know that that's that's a that's a bitter pill to swallow. That's a. Tough that one. wouldn't
0: make Palace change their minds. I mean, I read the Times story about him being linked with with Palace, and, and on the Palace story, really briefly, I mean. To bring Roy Hodgson back was a a really smart decision last season. They Hmm. were just sinking a bit and they brought him in and he settled things down and he got people doing their jobs and he gave people a freedom that maybe wasn't there for whatever reason under Patrick Vieira. But coming in to save the season where all you're thinking about is May 30th and coming in to start the season where you're thinking about (laughs) the start of a three-year cycle, one of them is absolutely suited to a 76-year-old veteran been-there-done-it manager one of them is not. No. And I think that's a really interesting angle on Crystal Palace. Their, their fans are walking out of Selhurst Park right now during games. They're so awful. Uh, West Ham would have beaten 5 0 at the weekend, unless, you know, unfortunately, West Ham was so timid and pathetic in the game. They were happy to settle for a one-all draw. And Chris at home. Richards
1: was amazing as a defensive midfielder. Mm. Um,
0: mm, uh, mm. So, I mean, look. I just wonder if they want to make that move because yeah. Hodgson, I think is gonna to have to go. Um, I find it quite interesting they would go for someone who just lost five you nil why? at Fulham and can't win yeah. an away game. But, yeah, tell but me, but yeah. Can
1: I, yeah, I'll tell you why. Because Sheffield United, Burnley, Everton, Luton, Bournemouth. That's why.
0: I don't know about Bournemouth now. Yeah, three oh. you
1: you you're, you're starting to like the turtleneck.
0: I mean, three wins in four. I mean yeah. look, I i, are, I, you I still, are we gonna hear an apology? No, I still uh, think it's ridiculous. I think Gary O'Neill would have done almost the same sort of thing. Don't and back your to buddy. Stay. Don't back your buddy. Hey, I think Gary O'Neill should have kept his job. But <laughs> oh, okay. I'll roll next down all right. Turtleneck. Oh, then, okay.
1: Look at you turning right weeks.
0: now. But then he did beat um, Newcastle United C team and mm. the shittest Crystal Palace. Sorry, Tim. And he's gone, so he might not catch that one. Um, mm. The worst Crystal Palace team of like, I don't know, months, yeah. if not years. Awful.
1: <laughs> no, I... I- I mean, listen, is Steve Cooper in trouble? Steve Cooper's always going to be in trouble. I, I think that, that that button is an easy, easily pressed button when it comes to anything regarding Nottingham Forest. And and when you have, I mean, history of Marinakis and, and what he's done, not in Greece, but also here or there in England. Um, I think you have a, a fiery, emotional owner that has a boatload of money and that is not afraid to make any decisions. I think the bigger question is to your point about who and I, Emory and Aston Villa earlier in the show, who he brings in to replace Steve Cooper, um, who's willing to be subject because here's the other thing. There's not a manager or a potential manager in waiting. That's not aware of what's been going on at Nottingham Forest. Hmm. The, 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 the whispers behind the scenes and the conversations and reaching out and understanding. I mean, and, and, but, but, Listen, th- this Nottingham Forest will already have their their laundry list. It won't be a sneaky, surprising little laundry list that's shocking. We need you to reach out to the inter- intermediary and find out, would Frank Lampard be interested in this job? Mm. He's going to pick up the phone and be like, hey, do you want the job or not? Here's what I'm willing to pay you. This is what we're doing right now. This is the money that you'll have in the January transfer window. It will be that immediate. There will be no hesitation. So, uh, yeah, I, I he's in trouble because when the game gets away from you, what are you looking for? You're looking for result, right? But you're looking for body language. We're seeing who's quitting on the team, who's quitting on each other, who's quitting on the manager. Those are the things when you are getting absolutely destroyed. That's what just happened at Sheffield United. You were looking at each other and saying, okay, can this be saved? Hmm. It can be saved. He's proven it can be saved. But will he be given the opportunity to save it? That's the question for me. with was Steve Cooper and Nottingham Forest.
0: And the thing with managers is such a good point. It's why so many teams have stuck with their manager during tough times because yeah. when Paul Heckenbottom goes at Sheffield United, who's available, oh, it's Chris Wilder. And for those that don't remember, last yeah. time they were in the Premier League, Chris Wilder got the sack and was replaced by yeah. Paul Heckenbottom. Um, we are out and of and time. By, and by the way, show. really quick. Oh, no, we're, not. we're not out of time. we got more. I was just going
1: to say, and by the way, Chris Wilder was just at the LAFC game because he was yeah. with Adrian Heath at Minnesota United as their guest. He was sat right next to me. By the way, really tall guy, really big dude, husky. Um, but yeah, he was... He was, out, he was out on vacation out in L.A. watching Adrian got sacked the next day. But, yeah, I mean, it was... Well, that's uh, why there was
0: some talk that he might be getting a job in America somewhere yeah, because yeah. Uh, he'd been out seeing a few games. And now Lan- was-
1: Lampard is uh, being linked to Charlotte FC. Yep. good
0: luck in all your endeavors. Um, we are officially out of time. Um, Danny, you're going to be at MLS Cup Final for SiriusXM FC on Saturday, right?
1: Yes, sir. Heading out. Uh, flying going to be in Lower.com Field. Again, coverage SiriusXM FC Channel 157. Pre-game coverage, game of uh, and then and then actually post-game, we're going to do some great stuff. We'll be a training tomorrow for both the practices, so uh, that'll be a fun one. I think it's going to be a little bit rainy in Columbus.
0: And if you're a subscriber to SiriusXMFC, uh, much like it is on this podcast, Dunny is the headline act, but I'll be warming up for him, uh, doing full com- commentary of Aston Villa Arsenal this Saturday. Oh. What a terrific, terrific game! A good one. Um, one of those days where you're glad, uh, or certainly I am. The iBook, the commentary teams. Uh, Dunny, always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Brian Seth. I'm Tom Rennie. Tim Horsey produced the program. We'll see you next week.